three, two, one, and uh, we're live, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Take This Online with me, Digital Hoos. Um, every I just realized I, I say every every episode goes an awesome episode or it's a special guest, and you know what? I don't care if I say it because it's the truth. Awesome episode with a special guest today. So that's double of that. I have um, with us an uh, ex-colleague of mine, friend of mine, um, very smart individual, someone actually we did a panel together uh, later earlier this year. It was quite interesting. She is a data scientist, but from a different angle than most of us know. Um, so, for example, we had Andrew coming on. He did data science from academic. He actually never worked in it. He was academic. We're going to have other data scientists come on, maybe from more of a client side, more of data data specific area. But now she is a data scientist from agency side, which is actually probably the most interesting for me because I think the things you can do here in that realm is is, is is massive. So we have Melissa, Melissa Mubarak here. Hello. Hey, hi. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate <laughs> Thank you for it. Coming me on a Saturday, oh, early morning. This is so much fun sitting here in your awesome man cave with <laughs> thank us, you, thank surrounded you. by Star Wars. I can yeah. feel the force being My, with me. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh Luke and Leia are with us. I'm a full nerd, but not the not the new ones. I'm not a big fan of the new ones. I don't know if you watch them, they're not that good. Yeah. Or, well, I'm I'm actually surprised that they're not that bad. <laughs> you know what? Anything's better than episode one. <laughs> Because okay. we all hate, because we all hate Fair Jar Jar shot. Binks, because he ruined <laughs> our lives. Anyway, let's get straight into it. I asked my guests all this question because I love to see the trend of it. What did you study in university? Okay, well, actually, um, this is going to sound a little bit surprising considering I'm in media today. Uh, but I studied finance and economics. There we go. <laughs> so I had started off my uh, university undergrad, and I had got into finance business. Uh, my dad was in finance and in business. So, you know, typical Lebanese families, oh, you oh, know, you'll take for over sure. your dad's uh, stuff or, you know, you could possibly work with your dad. So um, I got into finance, uh, but somehow while I was at university, I was always interested in, in marketing. So okay. I always wanted to do something a little bit creative. So I ended up uh, taking extra credits back at AUB to graduate with a double major in okay. finance and marketing. You. But then... I was just so confused, actually, when I was uh, younger because I couldn't choose. So I did internships in both fields. I got job offers in both fields. Okay. And then I decided to actually pursue the more finance track of things. Okay. Um, it was, well, I thought it was a good time. Okay. Uh, until I... 2008, 2009? Yes. <laughs> until, until I kind of got to my first day on the job in a, in a UAE-based investment bank. And on my first day... That was when we watched on TV, you know, the, <laughs> the Lehman Brothers crash. crashing and, uh, <laughs> and everybody just shutting off. On your first day. On my first day. That, so nice that, was, that was a nice way to get into it. Um, but I really did enjoy the uh, analytical side of things. Okay. I, loved, um, I loved getting into um, the research, uh, how to conduct research, how to build arguments, how to decide on investments. Uh, and I wanted to pursue that even further and possibly take it into a more macro level okay. because I wanted to do something that had more of an impact on society as a whole. Fair so enough. I ended up pursuing a master's degree at LSE in okay. economics, okay. in political economics, Interesting. Uh, to be precise. Had lofty ambitions of getting into politics okay. or I'm into... I'm sure everyone um, who graduates from that major does. Exactly. <laughs> Developmental organizations, IMF, here I come, World Bank, watch out, you know. <laughs> it was all quite nice and naive until you kind of get into the thick of it and realize that it's not quite what, it's exactly. <laughs> what you had imagined. Um, so private sector it was for me. Okay. Went back into economics, uh, worked in it for an economics research firm okay. in London. 
uh, it was quite intense. It was uh, quite interesting. What does economic research do? What do you actually do? That so field? it was um, it was focused on the Middle East and North Africa. So it was okay. a London-based firm that advised investors on where to put their money and their and how to okay. diversify their portfolio across um, markets. In it's the not, Middle it's East not similar to like investment banking almost. It's similar, but Finan- it's more macro. So more you macro, know, okay. um, investment bankers more country would advise focused, you. Maybe? Yeah, exactly. So uh, they would advise you more on specific stocks mm. or options. Uh, we were focused a lot more on the macro picture. So okay. which kind of markets to follow? Which kind of markets to? Uh, what was the political risk involved in investing okay. in the Middle East, North Africa? Well, it was like 2010, 2011. Like yeah, okay. exactly. Went on all the way till 2014, actually. Okay, wow. Yeah, so I stayed there for a while, but then I kind of hit. A bit of a bump where I just couldn't see myself there anymore. Okay. There was a little bit of a creativity block, okay. and uh, I needed something that allowed me to, you know, um, be a little bit more creative. When you're working in economics, everything is quite dry. I mean, the yeah. average age it's in analytical. that industry, yeah, it's about it's creativity. 45. Oh, so you're like <laughs> you the youngest person in yeah. office? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the industry in yeah. general, you know, so you go to networking events, you go to conferences and you're kind of looked as, you know, like a little, little child. Uh, little child. <laughs> so it, it was it was a very educational experience, very okay. analytical, but it was also quite dry. Like there was... You know, if I wrote a title that was a little bit witty, I would be asked not to be wow. flowery, you know. Oh, wow. Okay, to that extent. It had to be very, very precise, very analytical. Okay. Are you an intrinsically a creative person? Yes. Okay, fine. Yes. I, I Well, at least I, I would like to be. So, okay, fine, fine. Uh, you know, so I would, uh, I wanted something that involved mm. a little bit more of that, of that right brain element. Uh, so I started looking again okay. and um, honestly up until then I had never heard of media yeah, okay. <laughs> I think most people who get into <laughs> no, media just stumble no. into it <laughs> it, it seems it's the case me and Tony were both the case I studied marketing and I did my master's in marketing in London and I never Eve, so when you, when you study marketing especially at that time there's nothing, there's nothing called digital no it's the four P's it's, yes. it's, it's the you know the product brand marketing side of it um it's communication brand building yeah it's yeah, yeah communication side there was nothing in media and then i just kind of stumbled into into it because i t- had a marketing role in saudi arabia and i was talking to a friend i'm like i, I really want to leave saudi arabia and he's like all right i have a there's a job opening here i'm like all right <laughs> <laughs> i told you exactly the same he's like he stumbled into it as well so it's funny how and the reason why i ask you what you study is a lot of us for example don't study what ends up getting us into media yeah so even yeah. though i did marketing which is kind of like media but it's nothing like media today being t- taught it was probably a lot more media fo- like it's marketing today probably has media and digital in it more as an academic course probably while when i took it, it had no, there was nothing no there was nothing yeah. i mean media was was literally relegated to the background like yeah. it was the back office kind of yeah. stuff that was happening it was you know the bookers the planners yeah, the, exactly. the people who just you know bought the space yeah, yeah, that, that was it they were kind of like real estate brokers yeah. <laughs> to exactly. a point 100% that's very good that's a good analogy so how did you so, so you're looking for a job and then what happened and then well it was um, I had a friend okay. a, a family friend okay. who uh, who said look um, this is the company that I work in okay. in Dubai if you fancy a change of scene uh, we would definitely be interested in somebody of your profile and okay. it's in a media firm so it's a little bit closer to marketing and creativity okay. what do you think and actually, in 2014 was when 
media agencies started realizing the importance of uh, strategic thinkers, analytical mm-hmm. thinkers, and people who came from backgrounds that were a little bit more technical or analytical, analy- yeah. analytical exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was when I was offered a role in strategy, which kind okay. of um, was required at the time. Back in 2014, when I first landed here, people looked at me like I was crazy because the people where I was coming from an economics background were like, how are you shifting to this? Like, yeah, this is just yeah. so not like there's nothing. You're going to lose everything you have ever yeah. learned. It's pointless. And the people in media looked at me like I was some kind of alien yeah. because they were like, who is this person, you know, coming in, you know, with numbers and why? <laughs> numbers? So, what are these things? I mean, it's surprising yeah. although media does deal a lot with excel i mean and punching in numbers yeah. they're more more likely to be you know nothing really cal- not a lot of analytics mm. or calculations or things like that so okay. it was the cusp yeah. of a very different time in yeah. media where suddenly data was the buzzword and everybody wanted a piece of that buzzword nobody knew exactly how because nobody had the background (laughs) or the knowledge of how to deal with it so my role was very simple at the beginning it was how do we introduce more data into Mm -hmm. the way that we do planning okay and it kind of organically grew i think uh you know it grew i grew within the role and the role uh kind of grew on its own as well okay so basically you came in purely focused on strategy in from a data point of view yes okay fine initially it was just thought to be about research so it was just about hey you know we have some tools we don't really use them um how do we make Basically, the never-ending question Mm. is, especially for media, how do we rationalize our decisions? Okay. And for me, that struck a very um, chord that was very close to me because it was very similar to what I had been done, right? If you translate the question, it comes down to how do I justify my investment? Mm -hmm. And for me, with a background of, you know, financial um, investment banking and then in economics yeah. and... But from your background, that's something you would have to do all the time. You yes. always have to justify. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so you always have to decide how best to invest your money. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a pool of money or whether it's a pool of advertising money yeah. and whether you're spending it across different markets of the Middle East or different stocks or you're spending it across different channels and touch yeah. points, it's the same logic. Yeah, you need to true. rationalize your okay. investment. How do you diversify your investment? How do you make sure you cover your bases? How do you make sure that you are getting the most return on your investment? 100%. Makes sense. And at this point, I think 2014, 2015, I think that was the the huge decline of print and offline and then the rise of digital, specifically programmatic. How did you, you, because that's obviously going to be very new to you. You don't know what impressions are and CTR and VTR and programmatic, first party auction, whatever, all that shit. So how did you, how did you catch up to the lingo of the of the digital market? How do you how do you actually just learn digital? Well, how do you go about it? Because uh, was your was your position as a strategy was that focused purely on digital? Or was it also offline and everything? It was everything. Okay, how, so how did you learn media in general? Because now it's all new, even TV planning and all GRP and all that's yeah. all new to you. 
Well, I mean, I, I do have to confess, I'm no planner. Yeah. Right? So today, if you ask me to put together a plan, yeah. maybe after the, the fact that I've been there for five years, I can actually build a plan, yeah. maybe not, you know, uh, go into the nitty gritty details of it. But at the beginning for me, what was important to understand was the principles of the various channels mm -hmm. and what moved them. Okay. So the way that I understood media and the way that I learned media was to understand the factors that um, made a channel work mm -hmm. and not work. So okay. I took a very data uh, specific angle okay. at the different um, at the different channels because that was a language that I could understand. Okay, Metrics I can enough. understand. If yeah. I'm looking at GRPs or impressions or you know um, the, the 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 balance sheet of a stock. For me, they're all just the same investment. They're, okay. they're just all numbers, right? Yeah, I so, like the way, okay, so you looked at it from a way that was uh, familiar to you. Exactly. That makes so a lot of sense. while at the beginning I might not have understood exactly what an impression stood for or why it was important or what was the consequences of it, I just looked at it as a figure. And then totally the sense. knowledge came that afterwards. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Uh, Tony was doing, I was talking to Tony about it and he was saying something very similar we were saying that when he moved to digital, he tried to rationalize it through what he knew in offline and create that. So that's a smart approach, I guess you did it. Um, yeah, I really like that. Actually, funny enough, you know, I actually started off in offline planning okay. the first six months and I was in uh, publicist group and then I moved it to digital and just basically like learned all the acronyms from like the first week. I just had a <laughs> cheat sheet because so many goddamn acronyms, yeah. so many acronyms. All right, cool. So now you're 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 now an agency. You're looking at, at data. Was it always focused? So let's let's take digital because I, I like to focus there. So when you're looking at digital and data. We always focus on, for example, like third-party cookie data. Is that what you're focused on, or you look focus on data? So what kind of what kind of what kind of data are we actually talking about? Sure. Well, this is where it gets tricky okay. because. Um, there are multiple areas of data science when it comes to media. <laughs> the first element of it is a little bit more research driven. So okay. it's about how do you utilize the data that you have available okay. to understand consumers. Okay. It's a lot more strategic based. Mm -hmm. So it's about using... Um, like surveys, questionnaires? Surveys, questionnaires, but also your first party campaign data, mm -hmm. your first party website data. Um, increasingly, we mm -hmm. are looking to integrate much more digital sources of mm -hmm. data, such as, you know, your... Um, well... Not, not particularly the sources, but rather how do we combine the sources? Looking at how best to use DMPs if necessary, mm -hmm. looking at how best to fuse multiple data mm -hmm. sources from your digital um, campaigns okay. and websites and assets to understand the consumer better. Sure. So okay. a very big part of that has to do with the use case mm -hmm. of the consumer journey. Okay. Um, the other element of it has to do with the post-campaign analysis. Okay. And that is where the measurement comes in. And this is where most digital planners are familiar with because this is the analytics part, kind of looking at the performance of the campaign afterwards. How do we analyze um, what went well, what didn't mm. went well? How do we optimize it? And uh, how do we attribute certain sales or certain actions back to our actions back okay, to our, okay, okay, our campaign okay. so so they're really you know the the pre-campaign and then the post-campaign side of things when okay. you talk about data science in media okay fine okay let's backtrack guys how do we define data science if you would if you would uh, if if i would define data science i guess it would it's really a mix yeah. and it's a very, very new word that is based on very old words. Yes. It's a combination of 
the disciplines of statistics, okay. econometrics, um, research, um, digital analytics mm-hmm. uh, into one. Okay. <laughs> so it kind of brings these various elements that initially were separate and that today are required to work much more closely together mm-hmm. in order to achieve the kind of results that are expected of the industry. Okay. Because... Are they business results? Yes. Okay. The age-old question remains the same. Mm. How do we rationalize our investment in multiple touch points? And how do we measure or how do we ensure Mm -hmm. that we are getting the return on our investment? So the question hasn't changed. The tools that we have at our disposal have developed. They have evolved. We now have better tools. We have more sophisticated methodologies. And we have more data sources. Okay. And I think the 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 best data scientists are the ones who are able to look at all of these in unison yeah. and actually make sense of the big picture that's so interesting do you find there's a difference between the data you work on in your field when you, let's say you meet other data scientists i'm sure you do do you feel there's do you guys is it, are you guys like talking the same language with a different dialect kind of thing or is it all like it's all kind of the same but it's just the way you guys put it like forth how how does it work when you meet like other fellow data scientists yeah i think so far because data science as a practice as a discipline on its own is very new you mentioned that yeah. you have just recently met an academic yeah. in data science well that didn't used to exist yeah. back in when at least when i went to university that wasn't a, a course on its own yeah. you, know, you would take statistics you would take um you know decision making you you would take mathematics maybe you would take economics you would take multiple different disciplines but none of them were called data science mm. So at least in the industry today yet, we don't have pure data scientists. We have hybrids. Interesting. It's an evolution. The data scientist of today is an evolution of multiple disciplines that have become kind of um, polymaths where they have Mm -hmm. learned a little bit of statistics. They've learned a little bit of uh, digital uh, media. So so they've kind of combined things together. The language that each one of them speaks is their native language. Yeah. So if you speak to coders or to uh, people who are engineers at the base, they're going to talk something, a completely different yeah. language that you know, yeah. is a lot more technical. If you speak to the statisticians at the base, they're going to talk to you about, um, th- their, their mind is going to go a lot more towards the modeling side of things. Okay. So it really depends. And this is where... I believe the biggest challenge in data science is today. Yeah. How can we all speak the same language? Translation. Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> it's translation. Do you have any, like, what, what's what's your background? Obviously, so are you more, are you, are you into coding? Is that your thing? It's it's not. I okay, mean, fine. I've been exposed to it, okay, but fine. I'm not a coder. Okay, so when I do speak with coders, I I can understand the logic, but okay. actually typing it out, and I and I took recently, oh my God, it was so funny. Like a Python course, what do you think? <laughs> I went to the Google Masters um, data and attribution uh, classes and one of them was on their big data studio and it was about coding in R and I was, well, it was about coding and it was about um, just different coding languages and we were required to kind of uh, put together a code to come up with with a way to understand the website data. Oh, wow. And so I, yeah, I struggled. I struggled because it's not something that I work on a day-to-day basis. The logic I understood, 
the sequencing I understood, but I didn't have the vocabulary. Mm. So, do you think a data science should have all of those, or can you have a team where someone can be the strategic thinking of data science, while someone else can be the coding person? I think it would be the right approach because, like for example. Every time I'm, I talk to data scientists, a lot of time they would be like, "Yeah, we kind of we're like the only ones in the company." I'm yes. like, "But that doesn't make sense. Like, you, like just like you have, just like you have planners and media, you have an offline planner, digital planner. I understand we have hybrids, but also there's gonna be there has to be someone who's like an expert at programmatic because not everyone can be. And ha- I'm sure it's the same thing with data. Like, because I realized a lot of times, like when I spoke to Andrew and he was very academic, he was very strategic. Mm. Even though he's done, co- co- even though he did courses in Python and stuff, I'm sure there will be another guy who probably be better at that. So how do you think the right approach would be? It would probably be to have like a team, right? Um, I think it's... Can one person handle all those? Because there's so <laughs> many different... Like even data science is probably broken up into so many different realms, right? Yeah, I think um, as data science becomes established yeah. as a product yeah. and as a discipline within the agency world and even within the marketing world as a whole, yes, you will have teams. Mm. Because... As I mentioned, people come from different backgrounds and today they bring multiple expertises. So uh, you always need at the head of the team a hybrid that can understand, although perhaps not execute, all the elements. So this would be your team leader. But yes, you would then have multiple specialties underneath you. Um, These would include people like statisticians who are able to conduct your models. Then you need people who are more into coding Mm -hmm. who would be able to get the best out of your digital data. You need people who are into digital analytics who will be able to help you create the dashboards. And... And, and this is crucial, and this is where most people, because we are speaking data, completely forget about it. You need graphic designers. Mm, you need, data. yes, yeah. you need creatives. Yeah, you need creatives to actually be able to visualize the data today. And this is another of my pet peeves because okay. I find that there's a big gap between the creatives at an agency or at a yeah. client side uh, marketing firm who just don't understand any of the data. They don't even know what to do with it. They're just yeah. overwhelmed with it and they just look at it with a blank face. And then you've got the technicals who have all of the knowledge, mm. all of the information, but then they also don't know what to do with it because they can't translate it into mm. visuals, into something that is accessible to others. Okay, interesting. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you want to ask you, for example, so I've recently just gone into data, right? But I have no idea. I don't know anything about data science, right? For me is. I've kind of got into it from a very logical point. For me, I just follow the logic, right? For example, like I got in my in my current role is I got into digital transformation. I don't know anything about digital transformation. Right? I'm a I'm a media guy. But I kind of got into it and I just kind of followed a lot. For example, I looked at our data. We had to you know deduplicate data. Yes. So for me, I realized there's a there's a strategic data directory to go with that. Me not knowing anything about data, but I put together a team of people who knows the t- the technicalities of it. So that's kind of how I got into it. Are my data scientists no? Do I understand data? I think I do, but not from anything technical. I know I know how to I know how to look at it. I know how to go about it. I know how to acquire it. I know how to the direction to cleanse it. But then I know nothing about the technicalities. Tell me code something. I'll be like I have no idea what you're saying. But that's okay because yeah. I mean I think it's it's kind of similar if you would take the example of digital uh, marketing yeah. or digital planning, right? Like sometimes there will always be elements of what you do that yeah. you don't quite understand the back end of it. Yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to. If you are leading a team of, um, and again, as data science 
evolves and as the discipline becomes more established, mm -hmm. then we will have specific guidelines for what it means to be a data scientist. Yes. But today, a data scientist or somebody who works with data science is somebody who is able to understand the multiple use cases of data and the multiple elements of how to manipulate mm -hmm. data in order to get to a certain result. Yes. That would most, most, in most cases include extracting, cleaning and transforming yes. the data. So these are the, the main three mm -hmm. basics of data manipulation. Okay. And there will be many different techniques, tools, depending on what you're trying to find out, yeah. that you will conduct these three steps. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. One thing I realized is, especially from, from you look at, let's, let's focus on digital data, right? And I'd like to get your point of this. Obviously, as working data scientists, you love first-party data much more than third-party, right? I would yes. assume so, right? <laughs> because obviously, the wealth of first-party outbeats anything third-party can do. And I realized something very recent in the last couple of years that I don't think we put enough emphasis on first-party data. Uh, or we got importance on it, especially from a media, digital media standpoint. We'd love to keep focusing on third-party acquisition data, which I don't know why. What do you think about that? I think most clients, most brands don't have as much access to first-party data as they would like to. Okay. Um, we work with a lot of CPG brands mm -hmm. at the agency. And uh, in a lot of cases, these brands don't even have websites. Wow, okay. So, so there's not even a place to collect data. There's not data. even a place to collect the data. Okay. Um, I agree that... I'm sure that makes your life significantly harder. Yes, yes, yes. it does. <laughs> it does. Well, especially today with the changes in the data mm -hmm. landscape, the changes in the digital landscape where privacy is becoming of so much more importance, mm -hmm. where GDPR and other... Uh, laws are coming into place where we're facing the inevitable death of the cookie, um, we realize that collecting third-party data is going to be um, kind of limited mm -hmm. and more limited as we go along. Yes. So that's why we are putting in place what we're calling long-term data strategies okay, for, for our various clients, mm -hmm. where from today mm -hmm. we start putting in place data collection mm -hmm. methodologies. Like a landing page, like a landing page, for example? Landing pages, websites, CRM. Yes. So it really is um, a very beautiful world yes. of multiple sources of data that today either don't exist or are not connected. Mm -hmm. And this is where the role of the data science lead comes 100%. in. It's the person who has a vision for what we would like to do with this data, how is it going to be useful for us, and how do we get to collecting it and using it mm -hmm. in the right way. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I was talking yesterday, you know Stacey Fisher from uh, Hearts and Size? She's the head of yes. digital... She was awesome. She came on yesterday. We did like a, an hour and a bit. And we were talking about... And there was something I brought up, which I love this. I love this example because it's so logical and simple about data collection. I'm sure you'd love it. You know Kevin Hart, the comedian? Mm -hmm. D don't you don't you realize... A lot of people don't realize this. That at some point, not a lot of people heard of Kevin Hart and then he just blew up. And it kind of <laughs> yes. came out of nowhere. Yeah. And, I, and I started looking into it and he did, he did an interview or so there was another comedian talking about what Kevin Hart used to do at all his little shows I used to do. Like, he used to do a lot of those small clubs and uh, I think it was the East Coast, like a couple hundred people. He would have someone, every single show, walk up to everyone and collect their email address. And he wow. did that for every show year on year on year to the point that he had a wealth of first party email data. Thousands strong. So when he started to blow up, he would now start to personally invite these people. And now those people they would invite their friends. And that's how, he, that's how he blew up. And he did it in such and it for I don't I'm sure he didn't even think about it from a data point of view. For him, it was logical. Yes. And when I heard about it, I'm like, that is the most simplest, most beautiful way when I think about data and the use of data. 
what more what more what more relevancy do you want than a person going to a comedy show willing to give their email to a comedian so he can keep going to his comedy show and the use of that is now he's he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars he's one of the biggest comedians on the planet isn't that crazy it's it's not crazy at all yeah. it's basic marketing it's is, the is, principles it, of brand that's, building that's what i find crazy about it it's so simple and logical yet and yet, most people yet don't you do have it. billion dollar corporations that don't even think about it that you know what i mean that that for me is the part i go like it's just it's so simple in essence one thing that you said was crm data and that's just something i want to talk to you about is i feel that especially moving to client side and understanding crm data and then i look back at the clients i used to work with i feel that most clients silo their data very much and i don't know why or they don't understand that, that their data has so much potential to do so much more more with even outside of crm in terms of marketing and media but they don't do that why, why do you well, i'm sure you see it too and i'm sure it's trying to drive yes. you crazy especially when you find i understand cpg is a bit harder because they have to sell their their goods within like carrefour or wherever these other places but then you have for example real estate and automotive mm. and these ones that collect data and it goes into a crm but then it kind of just sits there and goes through a sales funnel without a thought about what else can I do with this data. Uh, and, and this is partly because of the lack of knowledge. Mm. So so this is, it's actually a mixture of factors in the way that I've understood yeah. it by working with multiple clients over the past few years. One element of it is the lack of knowledge and understanding of what this data is even about. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, uh, you having a, a, a priceless Pokemon, you know, yeah. a, a book that you don't even know is priceless yeah. and you just have it in your shelf and it's collecting dust and you yeah. have no idea what to do with it because you don't know its value. You have not seen the use case. Mm. And this is what's difficult for people to understand when it comes to data. Okay. It just looks like an, a, a collection of figures of numbers where there's no point to it. It's mm -hmm. just there. But this is where the role of the data scientist comes okay. in to explain the use cases and to reveal to okay. the clients the value of the data that they have sitting there. How's that, how's that going so far? How's the reception? Because I'm sure you're trying to do that, right? In your yes. Role? I would say that since I started in 2014 and up until today, the evolution has been massive. Okay. Like it's just really boomed, kind of okay. like your Kevin Hart example. Yeah. People had no idea what it was. And then suddenly there was so much buzz around it that everybody wanted to know what, what it is. And so everybody scrambled to get mm. as much information as possible. Now... It's still not ironed out. It's still not very clear. Mm -hmm. But people are more interested. They're more receptive. They're more open to listening to you. Mm -hmm. And this is where good data scientists are required. Unfortunately, there are very few and far in between. Talent is very limited. Huh? Because the, the example of your friend who said that they're the only ones at their agency. Yes. Yeah. We are the only ones at our agencies so far. Yeah. And it takes a certain type of person to be able to show that vision because mm -hmm. again if you talk to, if you talk to a very technical data scientist you're going to be talking to a scientist mm -hmm. this is the kind of person who will not be able to explain to you the grand vision of what mm -hmm. you can do and how this can translate into business growth yeah. they're going to talk to you about numbers you're going to get scared and the conversation is just going to end there okay the other element of why we're not seeing this connection happening just yet is fear yes there's it's a stigma fear for of sure. the unknown yeah it's fear of the, and it's legacy systems of very bureaucratic, very mm -hmm. siloed departments yeah, very that true. have been developed as and when you go 
and that were developed in very different ways and therefore today don't talk to each other, whether internally as people, um, you know, certain departments don't talk to each other and you find that CRM data maybe sits with the marketing, with the sales team mm. and then the marketing team have a different uh, head, a different group, they mm. sit somewhere else, they don't talk to each other. Yes, 100%. So politics and fear, um, this is where it requires very strong leadership from within the company. Okay. That's very true, hundred uh, percent. Do you think there's anything you can do as an you know working agency to help a client understand, the, or is that, or is that something that you're gonna have to let the clients kind of figure on their own, or is there anything you can do from your end? On the contrary, this okay. is the agency's role. Okay, Today, agencies are no longer buyers and sellers of meat. Like they're not planners of media anymore yeah. our role has changed it has to change if we are to survive in this like world consultants almost exactly we have to become the premier data consultants for our clients we have to be the ones who guide their transformation mm -hmm. when it comes to this data element of things so we need to explain to them the data available how to manipulate it how to take how to extract the value from it mm -hmm. and then we need to help them with the execution because yes. we are the ones with the resources. So today, if you think about the environment of an agency, you've got digital planners, you've got, in most big agencies, you have people who have a background in coding and analytics, digital analytics. Um, most big agencies have also invested heavily in research teams. So mm. they probably do have people who are statisticians or mathematicians who are able to conduct research or econometric modeling. So you have these specialties within the agency. What you need is a, the agency data science leads mm -hmm. to actually make that vision, put that team together and, you know, help the clients. Yeah. It kind of shows how important it is to, to eliminate silos even within an agency and kind of put everyone in the same room and work as a team. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I mean... I saw, uh, it's not, I know, I understand it's not easy. You're, you're changing years and decades of, of ways of working and now you're trying to change overnight. I'm sure it's not easy. For sure. And I'm sure you have egos and people get very, very annoyed. I mean, why, why is this person here? Why is, she, why is this person trying to recommend? <laughs> and that happens. You know, it's okay. So hey, look, when things when things change, some people are gonna get pissed off. That's the normal evolution of things, right? But it's cool that at least at least you're trying to do it, which I'm sure is yeah, well, that's pretty good. I've actually found that most people have been more receptive yeah? than expected. Yeah, I think um, I think people are seeing um, are starting to see the interest in this. Okay. They see they see that there's potential. They just don't know what the potential is and how yeah. to tap that potential. You kind of just have to show it to them. Exactly. Okay. And I think this is where. Um, somebody who is able to use both a right and left brain approach mm. can capture people's imaginations yeah. and their hearts and and their minds about yeah. you know what this is all about. Have you have you been able to in any case maybe work with a client who has a CRM and is willing to share CRM data? Has that, has that happened yet? Um, that hasn't happened mm. to its full extent yet, unfortunately. Out of, out uh, of, is it more of compliance issue or just purely out of fear? No, it's it's just because it doesn't exist in okay. in, in the in the way that it would make it usable. So mm. again, as I mentioned, I work a lot with our CPG clients yeah, yeah. who don't have okay. very solid. So our role with them actually, and a part of our data vision for them is establishing some kind of CRM for them. Okay. So we're even starting even before okay, wow. <laughs> the collection of data. Are you guys like literally building a CRM from scratch, even yeah. managing it? Well, not, not always managing it. Okay. Again, that comes in with the whole client and who manages it and whatever, but we provide the guidance right so we're going to help them yeah. set up who which suppliers to use do they want to do it internally do they want to do it with an agency there are 
many different yeah. options for clients today. Yeah. But I have been exposed to some of uh, some some other clients who are more in automotive mm-hmm. uh, and in real estate. As you mentioned, yeah. these two types of clients Probably do have CRM. very good CRM. Okay. They work with CRM agencies. Okay. So I was exposed to them as the media agency working with the CRM agency. Okay, and would you get access to actual CRM itself, the platform itself, or is it more of like? How, uh, oh, well, in that case, it's more about what the CRM agency shares with us. Okay. It also, another issue there depends on um, agencies, Yes. right? So today, a lot of the times, agencies are from different groups. True. And so clients work with agencies across groups. And competing groups. Yeah. Competing groups, yeah. which makes things a little bit trickier when it comes to data sharing. Yes. Um, and and that's where you know you hit some roadblocks where you have visibility but not full visibility. Yeah, that's that's what I've kind of gone to a place is now I think instead of s- segregating, you should, I think you should put everything to one agency. If there's the agency that does everything, even manages CRM for me, why not? Does yeah. that make would that will make so much life so much easier? Because I started realizing the importance of CRM data very recently. Because um, obviously, when you're in media, you don't really when you're mm. especially when you're a planner and stuff, you don't see the end result because you, you're focused on third party. That's the end result. Like basically, the way I look at it is that marketing and media kind of own the third party space in order to convert that to a first party, yes. and the first party then can go go into CRM with the hope that it feeds back into media. Right? That's the kind of hope we go for. And I started. Re- I didn't. I never used to realize that until I went client side, and I started seeing, wow, okay, we have a ton of first party data. This is amazing. This is this is this is the real value here. How can I then take this first party? give it to my agency to use it to enhance enrich third party and i th- or 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 for example retargeting or even just letting them know what channels are working i think there was a buzzword that when i started off in 2013 14 attribution was such a buzzword yes. but then i realized that no one really does proper attribution until you're able to get crm data i think that's the end result of attribution and yeah. the only way you can do that is with access or visibility to crm data and only now recently have I realized, all right, cool, let's say, okay, so I, I work in automotive, even real estate is the same way, you generate leads, right? So your media agency's job is to generate as many leads at whatever CPL you agree on, which is a different <laughs> story that I don't like. Anyway, so let's say you generate leads, right? CRM's job now, the CRM team or the sales team's job is to call those leads, interact with those leads, and try to convert them to a sale. So yes. obviously you're going to have drop-offs. A lot of the drop-offs are related due to bad quality of the lead. Right, which actually is inferred as part of the bad quality of the media buy. Now, how is the agency supposed to know that lead was bad quality? If you don't tell them. If it. you don't tell them. Or they don't see it. And you have the systems that can track the, the on-ground interaction to that lead that came in from a digital source. There's so many end results to it. Is it deduplicated? Is it clean? Is the data input of your sales team right? Are they putting in the right gender, the right birthday, the right name spelling? All those kind of is linked and it's become such a huge... The way I've... Now, it, I started off at one point, now I'm in somewhere else because now it's all it's all interlinked. Yeah, it's all interlinked. But at the same time, I would expect that because of the sheer volume of yeah. what we are dealing with, I mean, just, you know, just that little explanation that you gave is enough to put a lot of people off. And it's a lot oh, yeah. to overwhelm a lot of people. For sure. And unfortunately, I think it would be too much for any one agency to do. You think so? There's so many moving parts, so many different elements that having one agency do absolutely everything, we could get to that kind of Maybe model. Maybe not one team, mainly teams in agency, but I think just yeah. having all the sources in one place, because you should say to yourself, we have different agencies and different, sometimes the CRM doesn't want to share data or doesn't yeah. want, and for me it becomes like, 
Why? Then you, you're, I mean, then the business side of things comes in. Is yeah. that going to be a profitable agency model? Mm. Uh, because at the end of the day, the agencies, I mean, it, it's a volume game, right? You specialize and you train. Mm. <laughs> you, th you, this is your specialty. You have a certain specialty. You have a lot of people who do the same specialty yeah. or, you know, similar specialties that are complementary. And you offer that as a product. But is, is this where you think the agency business models are flawed? Because the way business models are flawed, especially for media buying point of view, it's an agency fee. Yes. I put an agency fee on a media plan as part of a percentage of what you spend. I've seen agency fees as low as 1%. Yeah. So even if you spend a million dollars, it's $10,000. It's not going to cover the fees, the salaries of the people working the account. So it's ridiculous. Don't you feel the actual model itself is flawed? Is, it, is the consulting model even better? Because that way you just work on an hourly charge rate, like a T&M, time and material. And okay, cool, you're going to need this many resources. This guy's going to do your CRM. This guy's going to do your integration. This guy's going to do your media buying. All right, he's $100 per hour. He's $200 per hour, blah, blah, blah. And then we just charge. Is there anything that's a better model to work on? Definitely. Yeah. I think, and I think eventually we will find it. I yeah. think what, what everybody right now is focused on is getting the product right. Okay. Um, and I think some of the agencies that are coming up today, the new agency models that are coming up today, are doing exactly yeah. what you've said. They are they are becoming hybrids of agency specialties, but with a consulting model, mm. and they are able to offer that product firsthand. It is working on a smaller scale, mm. where, but again, legacy systems are difficult to, to change. Problem. Scaling up for small mm. agencies with that kind of model hasn't happened yet. Yeah. They haven't reached critical mass yet, okay. but I, I fully agree with you. I mean, yeah. it, it is going to happen. Do you think this is where the threat of, like, for example, Accenture in the States, who's now getting into everything, yeah. is, is, a real, is a real threat to media agencies? Well, I mean, I guess what, what Accenture have tried to do is the other way around. Like, right, instead of, instead of uh, coming up with a small agency that has multiple different teams, mm. they're just gobbling up all of the different teams. Yeah, and so eventually, they will all be under the same group and they will do exactly yeah. what you're saying. And I think a lot of the um, big agency groups are following suit. Okay, they're yeah. capturing, I mean, today, agency well, well, groups have like... What, what, Epsilon? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a big acquisition. UM and IPG have Axiom, uh, yeah. which is very much into the data source of mm. things, especially for the US and Europe. Uh, you know, they've got um, they've got CRM companies like MRM. Uh, mm. They've got the agencies. So within every group, you have all of the specialties, yeah. and it it does get easier to work across the group because typically the groups sit together. Yeah, for sure. The difficulty becomes when clients work with multiple groups. That gets very difficult. <laughs> and I yeah. hate the silo approach. It's it's like clients think, so I'm not, I've, I've worked on clients where sometimes have six agencies. We're yeah. talking about like media, one does media, one, one does digital, one does offline, one does social, <laughs> yes. one does creative, one does PR. Like that's a bit ridiculous. And they all don't like each other. And you put them in a room and it's just awkward and <laughs> no one wants to really help each other. And I started realizing this is, I also when I had a couple of people from PR backgrounds, I started realizing Man, there's so much missed opportunities. Just like looking at PR, for example. PR these days puts out organic content on tens and tens of websites. They'll probably generate millions of website visitors, right? But and that's that's amazing organic material that one can have backlinks that could help SEO. One that could generate, so if I put a tracker on it, I could now, instead of me hitting 10 million impressions, I could hit 1 million because there's already material out there that people are organically okay, reading. Okay. But you know yeah. what? We're not doing that. SEO sits on its own. Media is kind of buying the same impression of someone probably saw the organic article, but now we're going to spend money on him. I'm like, what a waste of money. If we just, everyone just decided, let's get over ourselves, get over our egos, get over this, this, this boundaries, and we can actually generate so much ROI for the client. I think that's a client thing. 
I think yeah. that's that's where it falls on the client, I, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. I don't think it would be very well received if um, if agencies come over or, and say, "Oh, look, we're we're gonna do everything under." I mean, it's being yeah. done. Some agencies are trying to do it, but until clients realize the importance of mm. this cohesiveness and this integration. Um, it needs to be led by a strong client. Yeah. And you are seeing the value of that once you move to the client yeah. side. But on the agency side of things, you just see the frustration of, yeah. oh, the client wants me to work with somebody else. I'm just going to try to do it, but yeah. it's not working. That only makes sense. It definitely has to be client-led. I think the clients that are basically hiring from X agencies are the ones who are then slowly changing it. Yes. I think that's... But at the same time, one thing I found here is also talent is limited, but when talent then moves, it brings with it so much you know i think i think resources one thing one thing that's been fascinating fascinating me about data itself is the aspect of cleansing and maintaining data which yeah. i think on its own is an is an arduous task right because i actually tried to do it and it took me months to even understand the concept yeah. what can be, what, what do you think is the right right way first how do, how do you maintain data when the actual when when you have data input itself it has human error involved what do you do then? For example, let's say you go you go to American Eagle, you buy something, someone takes your information. Even that data input has to be so monitored and 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 done properly because that can affect so much. What do we do then? Because I see because for example, I'm sure I'm sure you work with clients or you've heard or you talk to colleagues, for example, where you realize the quality of data is not good, and that basically harms everything. Yeah, I mean, I understand your frustration, yeah. unfortunately, and as a former statistician slash econometrician, I'm going to tell you that there's always margins of error. Yeah. And you always have to be, you know, only confident to a certain extent. What's an acceptable margin of error? Is there like a, is there like a standard deviation, like rule of thumb kind of thing or not really? Well, I mean, anything between um, a confidence level of 80% and above, okay. you're fine. Okay. In some cases, you'll start with 70%. You'll say, okay, fine, this is what I have to work with yeah. and I will work and I will improve as I go along. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the biggest issues for me is, first of all, a lot of people would say, oh, no, it's, it's not clean. It's not very good quality. We're not going to use it. I'm not of that school of thought. Mm -hmm. I try to feel that just, be, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it's not useful. Mm -hmm. And then you need to start somewhere. Okay. We really are very far behind. Okay. And we will need to improve as we go along. But unless we mess up and we fail fast, we're never going to yeah. get where we need to go. And yeah. so this whole approach of waiting until the stars align and the data aligns and the yeah. you know regression lines align. <laughs> Sorry, nerdy joke. <laughs> it's it's not going to get us anywhere mm, interesting. so when it comes to collecting cleaning up and maintaining data there does need to be um a holistic approach for multiple types of data sources because mm -hmm. each one of them requires something very different okay. when you're working with tv data for example it's going to be very different than when you're working with crm data or when you're yes. working with um you know unstructured social data and okay. then the power in that is amazing, but also the cleaning up of that requires so much effort. So, how'd you go about it? Like, I, like I, I want to see your. For example, I'll give you an example. When I, when I did a data cleansing, basically, we would we acquired a software that helps us, for example, deduplicate data. And yeah. there's obviously a mar, obviously a software can do everything 100. Then I would have to outsource to a manual team to actually fix it. Yes. For, let's say when you have like that's that would that's like CRM data. I think it's it's 
more tangible. I don't know if that's if that's the right yes. word for it. It's more structured. Okay. So what do you do when you have unstructured data? Well, what's an example of unstructured data? Unstructured data is, for example, um, comments on your page. Okay. Interesting. So comments on your page is first-party data uh, that you can download uh, from your, for example, from your Facebook business manager. But that's very unstructured data mm -hmm. because comments are written in a natural language. They're written in multiple different yeah. languages. Sometimes it's transliterated, slang. right? They translate badly. They're emoticons, etc. And so we have tried, for example, to look into an exercise where we can try to clean up that data and see if we can identify certain patterns, certain types of interactions that mm -hmm. people have with our brand. And um, it's, again, going to be a, a combination of a little bit of manual work, uh, at least in terms of putting the logical statements that, or, or mm -hmm. the logic of how you want to structure that data. So you need to move it from unstructured to structured, and then you need to clean it up accordingly. Okay. This is where some softwares can come in to help you. Artificial intelligence is going to have to okay. be the key to that. I know it's a buzzword, and I know that in a lot of cases, people don't understand what it actually means, mm -hmm. but artificial intelligence is basically the, the machine learning of softwares that allows them to um, eventually carry out certain repetitive tasks by mm. picking up understanding of certain things in a much faster and better way than we could ever do it manually. That's really interesting. So do you are you working with any kind of like person who's helping with that aspect of AI? Uh, I mean, I think we we're have. Still, we're still very early. We're on. still very early okay. stages. Very early stages, and I'm not a, the kind of person who wants to jump into things before we have the basics right. Fair. So artificial intelligence is going to improve the way that we do things. It's going to improve our uh, uh, processes. It's going to make them much quicker. But unless we have the basics in place, the right logics, the right structures, um, the right rules. Artificial intelligence is not going to deliver on what it was meant to do. And this is where you get into the hype and people tend to invest a lot of money in certain things yeah. and then they don't see the result and they scrap it. No, there's a problem. I, I, I understand your frustration there. One thing, because you talk about unstructured data and it's so interesting that you can actually, you know, you can, you can take that social data. Then what, let's, let's say imagine you get unstructured data unless you find a way to try to, you know, cleanse it or something. Let's say you actually do all that. Then what can you do with that data? Well, that data, typically, we are interested in it for um, audience segmentation and consumer journey. Okay. Right. So for us, we want to understand things such as um, what are our audiences talking about? Okay. How, how do the people who interact with us on our uh, brand site or on our brand Facebook page or Instagram page or whatever, how, what are, who are they? What other kind of information can we learn about them? Can we infer anything about their personalities, their interests? Can we use those core group of people to build lookalikes mm, okay. and that we can then target on a more broad level? Are you able to basically pick up the kind of sentiment, be it positive, negative from the comment? And is there some kind of algorithm that helps you do that? Yeah, I mean, of okay. course, there are multiple social listening tools that okay. allow you to do that. Um, and social listening tools are embedding more artificial intelligence or machine learning okay, uh, softwares that also allow them to improve 
uh, how they are doing things. Uh, particularly for Arabic language, we have had issues with social listening tools previously because um, sentiments, I mean, the analysis would come back as, you know, 2% negative sentiment, 5% uh, um, uh, positive sentiment, and then all the rest is neutral <laughs> because mm. the software <laughs> is not able to understand what the hell this is all about. <laughs> so this is where more developed systems and softwares uh, powered by, you know, AI, machine learning, however you want to call it, are improving the analysis that we are able to get. That's very cool. Um, do you think, in, I don't know if in our current region, our current industry, there's any kind of, what do you think is the major problem right now that's facing data science in media, for example? Is it purely just, is it purely knowledge, understanding? Uh, is it working together? Is it sharing of data? It's just teething stages. Okay. It's it's teething problems. We are in a very, very early stage of the development of data science for media specifically. Okay. Other industries are more developed than that. Mm -hmm. The finance industries have used data forever. They yes. they, they know it they know they know their stuff. In media particularly, we have a very large task on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's a large task that is getting more difficult that as soon as we have become aware of it we are now have limitations on it because people mm. are like whoa hold on privacy cambridge analytica yeah. this borders on you know mind control Ooh, yeah, yeah. you know all of the um you know the, the 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 people who like to be alarmist about it so it's not helping what we do need to do is just take it one step at a time and think about the basics the rules that we need to set up for a long-term data vision where we would be able to capture good quality um, consensual data yeah, <laughs> uh, that allows us yeah. to improve the way that we work and, yeah. and deliver a better experience yeah. for consumers. At the end of the day, I think a lot of us get bogged down in the details because there are so many moving There's parts. So much, yeah. But the big picture is this. Today, Advertising has become a nuisance mm -hmm. unless it is relevant and personalized. 100%. I completely agree. Consumers are more connected, more sophisticated than ever before. They can ignore you at a swipe, ignore you forever. Yeah, for sure. You will never be able to reach them ever again. And therefore, the way that we market and the way that we connect with consumers has to evolve. Data is only giving us one part of yeah. the way that we can connect with them in a better more relevant, more useful way. That's what consumers want today. And this is the end goal. I completely agree. I want to get your take on, on something. Um, actually, no, there's one thing you mentioned, which is quite interesting, is that obviously now the cookie is slowly dying, it seems, a third party, right? And we're now shifting towards more first party. But there's also one thing that I don't think people are giving importance to is second party. Yeah. And I don't know why, because I think, I'll tell you my frustration is, right? You have things like a DMP, let's for example, right? DMP is using third party mainly. There's some first party and then there's a part you can use for second party. Let's imagine a third party is dead now, mm -hmm. right? The compliance issues, GDPR, it, we're, we're done with it. Now, people think the DMP will die. I don't think the DMP will die. I think the aspect of the DMP will die because there's still a second a part of first party that can aggregate and second party. Yeah. One thing I'm, I'm finding, because second party sits with the supplier. Right, it's their data that they they build they, their taxonomies, their segmentation from their end that they can pass on to us that we can use in media buying, and then they get paid a data fee for it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're seeing this. I find a direct frustration trying to deal with suppliers who understand the value of that data or want to pass it on or understand that there could be a potential for revenue stream. I'll give you an example. Yeah. A lot of suppliers, 
are still very focused on the banner side of business, yes. which I find is ridiculous. I think the banner is is dying. Stop selling me impressions on a CPM for this uh, you know leaderboard. Instead, because you for example, let's say you're real estate, or let's say you're automotive, or let's say you're a okay, let's say you're a you're a product that's oriented towards a specific segment, right? So you think the only people reading about real estate are going to be interested in real estate, right? But so that means you'll never spend on portals or publishers or sites that are not related to real estate. So you're only going to spend on real estate because that makes sense to you. But that audience probably goes in other places. That audience might want to read about gaming because they're a gamer, but they like to buy real estate too, right? So maybe because I don't want to put on a gaming website because it might be irrelevant, but the audience is not irrelevant. So therefore, if that website sells me data as a cookie form because you know we have to be compliant and that I can then target... Outside of that website, I can now that web, that gaming website will now generate a revenue stream from real estate clients that would have never done with banners. I have yet to find suppliers who understand that concept. I think that's um, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand your frustration, and um, it does come down to the business model, right? Yeah. So today, the supplier is selling you a product which is real estate, yeah. uh, kind of uh, real, real estate on digital sites. Mm -hmm. This is the main product that they are selling you. If they give you their entire treasure trove sitting behind uh, yeah. that, it's kind of like they're shooting themselves in the foot. So it will be more difficult. The, the value of second-party data today that I feel is being untapped is from client to client. And okay. it's not from supplier to client. Okay. So it's not about trying to partner with the suppliers or the publishers because the publishers will always try to sell you an audience that they will keep control of mm -hmm. so that you keep coming back to them. The value could be in data partnerships. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we are working on and that is slowly gaining a little bit more momentum. It's still... Uh, very early stages because of the two things that we mentioned before, fear and ignorance. Mm -hmm. So not enough knowledge of the power of that and then fear of, wait a second, but if I am sitting on such an important and valuable source of uh, uh, of information, I need to make the most of it before I can share it with anybody else. Sure. There is that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. But what we are seeing is what the data sharing that needs to happen is, for example, between telecom companies and other clients. Yes. Telecom companies have whole, whole huge sources of data that they For have sure. and that they're sitting on. In other markets, more developed markets, they have actively started monetizing it. Not yet in our re region. We are starting to talk to them about it. But the governmental yeah. fears, limitations yeah. have you know, uh, stalled those conversations a little bit. The other really big source of data that you get is your supermarket data. Mm -hmm. In more developed markets, supermarkets uh, uh, are sharing their data, they're selling their data to clients. And therefore, especially even for CPG clients, you are able to attribute back down to sale. Yeah, that and that awesome. is so valuable. But today, our conversations with big supermarket chains have kind of fallen on deaf ears because they're only just realizing the value of what they have. And they're like, we want to use it for ourselves first. So... Second-party data is as important as first-party yeah. data because somebody else's second-party data is their first-party yep, data, right? Very, so, very so, so being able to um, kind of um, put in place yeah. and to mediate these partnerships are going to be super important. Very it true. doesn't help also that you have big moguls like Amazon, for example, that don't share their data. Yeah, E-commerce data should be 
very shareable. It should be one of the first things that we have access to for sure. as clients selling on a certain portal yeah. in a digital age where we require this kind of attribution more and more. 100%. I think Amazon is just trying to basically completely silo everything. And now it's acquisition with uh, after buying, uh, which ad server they buy? Seismic's ad server. Yeah. And uh, having their own DSP as well, uh, they're basically creating a whole environment. Their own, it's another walled garden that yeah. we can add to the list. So that's not going to be fun for anyone because I think it's so limiting. I think we can do so much more, but I don't think they're going to, I don't think those doors are ever going to be open. Now, this is where some smaller players are more open to yeah. this kind of stuff. And that's this is true. where you do have the opportunity to experiment yeah. and test with smaller players, which is something that we are doing. That's good. Um, but yes, I agree. Second party partnerships on data sharing agreement is going to be very important in the light of, so. you know, the dying cookie, um, especially because you would be able to get data that is more valuable and relevant. Things like purchases mm. or things like travel habits mm. or things like, you know, mobile usage. This is much more valuable than, you know, browsing or inferred interests that Google gives you yeah, that's in very, terms very of true. targeting. Where do you think, where do you think we're moving to? Where do you think it's going to be? Where are, we, where are we going to be in the next, I don't know, three to five years in terms of, I don't know, where data, the understanding of data, the use of data? What do you think? What, do you think, what are the trends showing in your point of view? Um, I think clients are going to become more savvy. Okay. Um, it's going to take a, a, a long time mm -hmm. for, for that to happen. But I think with the push from agencies, clients are going to become more savvy about what to do with their data. Okay. Um, in the first few stages, I would say over the next two to three years, the, the emphasis is going to be on connecting data sources. It's going yes. to be on scrambling to find all of those different sources yes. of data, making sense of them, cleaning them up and putting them in one yeah. place. That's very true. I completely agree with that. The one thing I saw, which is really, really interesting, I kind of looked at. I, I kind of looked at why. Why is everyone looking at? Let's take Dubai for example or UAE. I realized something back in to, pre two thousand nine, post two thousand ten, when yeah. markets were crazy, were on fire, right? Where you're selling people. I, I heard stories of you know those like kiosks in the mall for real estate. People, someone would come and buy ten apartments from those, right? Some crazy, <laughs> crazy. Like I hear stories. I heard stories. I've never seen that. This is back in the day, <laughs> yeah. right? So I heard stories of people walking into showrooms with duffel bags and buying the whole lot. This wow. is back. This is like before two thousand nine, and then between two thousand eleven, two thousand fifteen, <laughs> to the point as where salespeople were selling so much. And companies were making so much money where no one really cared to look at data. <laughs> yes. No one cared to say, is that, is that person's name spelled right? Hey, is the email na at gmail.com? Does that seem logically? No one cared. You know what? Because we're selling. We're selling. We're, 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 selling, we're selling thousands of cars. We're selling hundreds of apartments. <laughs> Times are booming now. But then the market crashed. Yeah. The market sucks today. I think now they go, oh. Hold on, <laughs> what's going on here? And they start looking at data, and then they realize, all right, the data we had 20 years ago is all bad. Yeah. Because no one collector even cared to look at it. And I think that's where we are today, and I think the future is more care will go into. I'm hoping clients will learn from that mistake, and start to put more emphasis on the quality of data, especially on the data input, especially when you go talk on ground. It's it's so funny how people don't realize how important the greeter in the showroom is, yeah. or even the person in the kiosk in the mall is who collects that information. That person is so important. And I don't think that we give them enough importance. I'm, I'm hoping now with the learnings coming in that we're going to start realizing the importance of these, of the basic on the ground people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, they, they say necessity is the mother of invention. I yeah. think recession is the mother of invention. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to marketing suddenly becoming a lot more um, 
held accountable. Yeah. So when times are great, oh, everybody's spending on marketing. Yeah. It's like a whole big champagne and party up in yeah. here. <laughs> but now, um, now that dollars are tight and that budgets are getting more and more limited, every single client wants to make sure that every dollar that they spent is you know, delivering on something. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are all scrambling to say, okay, great, how can we prove the value of this so that we don't get even more budget cuts? Um, and then, but unfortunately, that does require budgets. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so it is about finding that middle ground between investing in, in the longer term vision for how do you collect your data? What do you do with that data? So that in the future you okay. can really derive the value of it. That's awesome. All right, cool. This wraps up. Um, I know that you're you're quite active on like you you, you post a lot of content because I know you've done a few panels. We did a panel together. Yes. Are yes. you writing any articles these days? Anything? I I am. Yes. Right, I've cool. I've got a couple of articles in the pipeline. Cool. Uh, and uh, keep an eye out where campaign yeah. communicate where should campaign communicate. Mostly, All right, yeah. keep an eye out there. You usually post on your LinkedIn as well. Also, so yes. everyone check her on uh, on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to reach out, talk about data, go ahead. If you Please have you know, business questions, go ahead as well. Uh, Melissa Mubarak, M-O-U-B-A-R-A-K, exactly. last name on LinkedIn. Um, definitely check her out. Um, it was It's so funny that I didn't, we never really interacted when I was in agency because I was so fixated in my world. <laughs> but then when I started, re then I started realizing we have a lot more in common than I thought. And especially after being a comment, it's funny, on a panel together, it's funny how then we kind of started discussing and yeah. I realized that we actually have a lot of things in common terms of the way we look at it. And that kind of accentuated more when I went to client side. So it's been, it's been really <laughs> interesting. So I'm really happy we actually got to connect on that. And yeah, guys, so check it out, reach out. Um, we'll keep an eye on those articles. Let me know. We'll definitely put it out there. Uh, for me, uh, Digital Hoos on Instagram and Twitter. I put all my content on there. On LinkedIn, it's Hassam Al-Haz, H-U-S-S-A-M. Uh, all my content is there. These episodes will go on as well. Um, we just heard and it just got confirmed. We are officially on Anghami. Ooh, very happy very oh very God, happy so stuff. shout out to rami and the Rami team for getting i literally just found today i opened <laughs> up because i've been trying to get on there but there was some technical issues where i was appearing as an artist and not as a podcast and literally i just checked today we are officially a podcast on Rami. fantastic uh so on Rami, apple podcast google podcast we are in 50 i think we're 10 to 15 websites of podcasts you find us there and guys just keep subscribing keep sending feedback it's been amazing um on if you want to be on the podcast and you want to talk about something let me know it doesn't have to be just media related i'm talking to people who are public speakers authors motivational speakers um into recruitment just kind of different people and it's been really cool and thank you thanks again melissa this was actually really insightful my pleasure we this probably will have fun. we probably will have to have you on again because i think <laughs> there's tons of things we could talk about especially as data evolves Anyway, guys, uh, lots of love, and this is Let's Take uh, This Online, and we are...